Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with you. It's good to be fellowshipping together. Worship today was great, wasn't it? We're great. I, I missed last Sunday. I took that in like a man who was drowning. I needed a good drink of worship. That was fantastic. I uh, was not feeling well enough to come last Sunday. Have you, you know, I've been attending church my entire life since I was a little baby. When I miss a Sunday, my whole week is messed up. It's like I don't know when Monday is. I don't know if it's Wednesday anymore. And I've I got to have my Sunday or I'm just totally lost. I can't figure it all out. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and with fellow believers. And uh, it's important that uh, you know that you believe and I know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're sharing this series is so that you can believe from hearing the word of God and putting your faith in it and uh, relying on the Lord uh, with all that you have. It's important because in our culture, there is a difference. There are the religious and there are the born again. And the religious are, are great in number, but those who are born again are a much smaller number. The religious are rituals and traditions, and they value that. But the born again are those that have repented of their sins, and they have received the Holy Spirit within their spirit. And in John chapter 3, Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's important that you be counted amongst those who know what it means to be born again. And uh, there is an easy way of testifying to that. Uh, did you hear that song that says someone testified? Did you hear that in the chorus today? So I feel like I need to educate you a little, uh, church, about how to do that. So when you're called in testifying, what you do is you, you raise your hand and say, you know, like if you want to be counted and say, I, I want to join the team. So you raise your hand you say, I, I testify that I'm saved, I'm born again. You don't wait for someone else to do it. You just shove your hand in the air. It doesn't it isn't to judge anybody else or anything like that. You just testify so that you're part of the Lord Jesus. And uh, it's okay to shout an amen every once in a while. If you just try it on for size. Uh, can I get an amen? Yeah. That's not so bad. <laughs> so now you don't have to wait for everybody else to do it. You can just shout it out anytime you want and scare your neighbor next to you. And that's if they spill their coffee, you did it right. <laughs> so that's okay. That's, that's allowed. And uh, if the Lord moves you to say a hallelujah, you can do that as well and so on. Now, why would I do that? Well, the preaching gets better if you do that. I'm going to give you a great little secret. If you're in a service and you don't like how the preacher is going, just do some testifying and amen. You'll crank up that preacher. The more you do it, the more the preacher will get cranked up. And because the spirit moves with the testimony. Now, it isn't just psychological. There's a spiritual principle in that. It's called the stirring of the spirit. And the Spirit is stirred by the Word being spoken and our agreement with the Word. It stirs the Spirit within our midst. And with the stirring of the Spirit, a lot of things happen that no one ever plans on. So, there it's on you. Now, I know you're shy and Tibbin Canadians, but that's all right. Well, you're not. I know you're not. Most of you are quite bold. So, um... Before I get into that too far, um, right after the service, we're going to have a prayer time. And uh, anyone who wants to come forward to pray for, for whatever it is in your life, you're welcome to do that. We'll stay here as long as you need. But over on this side with the jet out here, if you have the spiritual gift or prophecy, or if you think you have that gift and want to explore that more, I would like to meet with you over on this side of the room. At our last prayer rally, we started talking about organizing people with similar gifts together in groups. And I know there are several here who have that gift. 
and we're in need of you. So if you would meet after the service, right over here, I'd really appreciate your pastor and your church needs you, and we would like to meet with you briefly. So I want to get into uh, our message today. It's uh, Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and uh, we're looking at uh, John chapter 7. John chapter 7, if you want to grab your Bibles and get ready to mark and it up and let the Lord speak to you on these things, it would be really good. We're talking, uh, and have been, Beth and I, talking about reasons to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Bible says that it's by hearing the word and uh, putting our faith in that word that we come to believing. So we've been sharing a series of messages on the life and times of Jesus Christ so that you could hear that and put your faith in him. And along the way, I've been emphasizing the believing and the not believing and what believing is, and we've been exploring that together along with Beth. And today, we're looking at Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And uh, there's, when people write, there's a thing called condensing, that uh, you don't write in real time. You condense events down because it's just too many words. And uh, we've been condensing uh, radically because we went from his birth to his death and resurrection, which is just around the corner with Easter, and we're trying to cram this all into a little space, but uh, this is a lot of stuff we're leaving out. But it is so worthwhile uh, to tell you all the stuff we left out. I did a series of Bible studies on the book of Matthew, uh, and went through it verse by verse, and it took me two years to get through it, two and a half years to get through that. There is just so much packed in the Word of God. So do get into it and read it. You'll find just riches galore. I want to tell you that there are all kinds of reasons not to believe in Jesus Christ. All kinds of reasons that people will present to you why believing in him in a radical way is just a bridge too far. But there really is only one reason to believe in him. There is only one reason that will make all the difference when you believe that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose on the third day and that he did that all for your sins. If it's all true, if what we're sharing with you is reality, then we desperately need him to deliver us from sin and from the evil in this world. Everything we are and have been or will ever become depends upon the choices to believe in him. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. I even got a new... Yes! Yes! They're waking up, Beth. <laughs> Praise God. If you want to believe in Jesus Christ, it requires you to make a desperate decision that will make a difference in your life. I don't want you to be persuaded by clever talking or by arguments. You need to make a choice to believe, to believe. You need to make a choice to believe, to believe. You're not to be talked into it. If you make the commitment to believe, then you will believe. That might sound strange to some of us, but you first have to make the commitment to believe before you can believe. There is a, a new experience that takes place in your life. I've uh, shared this many times, um, but until you experience it, it just seems bizarre and out there and over your head. And it's called the experience of the new birth, of being born again. Because Jesus said in John chapter 3 that uh, if you would receive him and believe in him, that you would not perish and have everlasting life, that you would be born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit and of water, of the Holy Spirit, and you will be changed on the inside. Ephesians chapter 1, it says that on the day that you heard, when someone shares it with you, and the day that you believed in it, you made that choice, that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you are born again. And what is born again is your spirit within you comes alive with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Until then, until you've made that decision and had that experience, you are an unbeliever. Even if you say you believe, 
until you're born again, you really don't believe. You are filled with doubts and questions and anxieties. You have self-absorbed agendas with no real love for anyone other than yourself and then how it affects you. You will be at the center of your own universe and God won't be there. And it will be a very small, dark universe and it will be shrinking every day. So the question today is, do you really believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Or don't you? And the answer is yes or no. There's no in-between. There's no maybes. It's either yes or it's no. It's one or the other. If you want to say maybe, then you don't. Believing in Jesus Christ after making a desperate decision that makes all the difference changes who you are. The Holy Spirit enters your spirit. Your very nature changes and Jesus Christ comes in and we call that being born again. A person who is born again is holy in his spirit and is influenced in his heart to obey the Lord and to obey God's will. You don't have to convince a person who's born again that they should do the Lord's will. They want to do the Lord's will. But they may act from time to time as if they're not holy while that person, because they're born again, loves God in their heart. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Do you? No. <laughs> I don't want to say one thing and do another thing. You are what you are, duh, whether you're consistently that way or not. Um, so this will be a little controversy, but Beth promises to beat up anyone who wants to come after me, so don't worry about it. Um, there is a controversy in our culture about uh, whether you know if you're a male or a female. And uh, I know a lot of people in the medical profession, I've talked to doctors about this, and they say uh, your DNA is, determines if you're a boy or if you're a girl. And it doesn't matter what you do in surgery, your DNA tells us if you're a boy or if you're a girl. It's built into you whether you like it or not. And no matter what you do or what chemicals you take, you're either a boy or you're a girl, and that's just the reality of the situation. That's just science, it's the way it is. Now, I can be a boy and pretend I'm a girl, but that doesn't change my DNA. I can be a girl and pretend to be a boy, but that does not change my DNA. When I'm born again and I'm a Christian, my DNA is the DNA of Jesus Christ. And no matter how I behave or how foolish I am, my DNA is still the same. It does not change. Because I am born again. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit and of the water. When you're not born again, your DNA isn't of Jesus Christ. Jesus told uh, the religious people of his days, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that their father was Satan that their DNA was not God's. Either it's yes or it's no. There is no in-between. There's no grade zones. There's only two check boxes. Down in uh, the United States where I came from, they were a little confused about this and they were de developing driver's license with options about sexual gender. And then uh, they were gonna put three or four on and then others started to disagree and they were getting up to 20 different check boxes. So they decided not to have it on there at all because they couldn't get that many checks on it. But I'm sorry, there's only two. It's either yes or it's no with God. What is your DNA? Are you born again? Do you know the Lord God? Yes. To <laughs> yes. Today I want to explore this desperate decision that will make a difference as we look for at another significant moment in the life of Jesus Christ. We're approaching Easter. And the events of his uh, arrest, his trial, uh, his crucifixion and resurrection. And we see the shadows of these fall upon the words we're going to explore today. And I want you to watch for the foreshadowing of Easter. 
If you're looking carefully, you will also discover as we look at these words that people around Jesus Christ were making decisions about him that would lead to the anger, yelling, crucify him! Or they would lead to Jesus as Lord. But the crowd was beginning to go left or right. They were saying yes or no. And in the story that we're going to hear today, you could see the decisions that are being made that will lead to Easter and being for him or against him. And uh, I want you to watch for that and those changes in the decisions they're making. If you dare, you might also realize which of these people you are this morning. If you're on the road to yelling, crucify him or Jesus is Lord. The whole story and the whole study is in there, but since we don't want to be here all day, I'm going to have to choose to highlight a few things out of chapter 7. So can I do that? I'm going to condense it down. Unless you want to be here all day. I don't think I can stand all day. But we're going to condense it down. I'm going to start at John chapter 7, and I'm going to pick up our story at verse 5. Jesus is in Galilee, and he's uh, getting preparations to go to Jerusalem at the Passover feast. And an interesting scene uh, takes place at this point. This is after all the miracles and all his preaching, and Jesus has quite a reputation at this point. Chapter 5, I mean, chapter 7, verse 5 says, For not even his brothers... We're believing in him, that is, in Jesus Christ. So Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast, because my time has not yet come. I want to look at these brothers of Jesus for a while. Don't you just love family? It's just... You, you ever go home on a vacation and, and your brothers and sisters are back together again? You might be 50 years old, but they still treat you like a little kid. I'm kind of enjoying that now because as I approach my senior years, I'd like to be treated as a young person, so that's great. Amen. Amen. But... Uh, it, it can be tough to be around family. Does anybody f find that, gathering with your family? It, it can be a tough go. I get it. And uh, it can be a tough thing, and that's what Jesus is getting here. He's, his reputation is building. People are talking about the miracles he performs and great things he is saying. But uh, your family often doesn't allow you to grow out of the little model they have of who you are. Right? They got this, this is who you are, you never can leave that little thing. But you're much more than what your brothers and sisters might conceive you of. And uh, that's part of the tension. There's always some jealousy and envy with brothers and sisters. And, but it's a family that we love, but it can be awkward around family sometimes. Jesus had a family, and he grew up in the home of Mary and Joseph. He had brothers, uh, and he, we believe he also had sisters. And the Gospel of Mark 6.3 and the Gospel of Matthew 13 states that James, uh, the son Joseph, or Joseph, Jude, and Simon were the brothers of Jesus Christ. And at this point, they really don't believe in Jesus Christ. The same uh, verses all mentioned uh, unnamed sisters of Jesus, and they we guess what they, these brothers and sisters didn't always get along with Jesus Christ. In fact, there's another story that says they thought Jesus was, had lost his mind and they were coming to retrieve him, to take him back home. Jesus was the firstborn. He was the eldest. He was supposed to, that Joseph, the father of Jesus, died during the quiet years of Jesus' life. And being the eldest, he was responsible for the care and the... Um, life of the family until they came of age. And in the 33 years of Jesus Christ, he began his ministry at 30, which meant he spent the first 30 years of his life taking care of family, brothers and sisters and mom. Uh, so get that. Uh, the, very important to mention this before, that your first mission field is always your family. J Jesus spent more time 
taking care of his family that he did in his three years that we have in the Gospels. He invested in his family. So can you imagine that? Your older brother is the son of God. <laughs> that could be awkward. <laughs> and uh, he's taking care of the family, nurturing, breaking bread every day with you. And after all that, he goes off to start his ministry, and you do not believe in him as the son of God. That's where these brothers are at. Therefore, it's painful when someone says they do not believe in you, and when the brothers of Jesus come to Jesus Christ, they say, yeah, we don't quite buy it, Jesus. There is a real tension, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Has your family ever failed to believe in you? Mm -hmm. I hope they always believed in you and what you could do. But I'm afraid that most of us did not have brothers or sisters, even moms or dads who believed in us or believed in the potential of what we could become. Why? Because they thought the boy or the girl, they, they saw you as a young person, they saw you grew up, they saw you poop and they cleaned your diapers. They, they, they did all the limited and flawed things. Kids make mistakes and do dumb things, do they? I grew up in an age where there weren't a lot of cameras around but to record all the dumb things you do. My poor grandchildren, they're going to be so well documented, it's ridiculous. And it's going to be, oh, I remember when you were six. Actually, I have a video of that right here. <laughs> Show it off. And you did this stupid thing, and boy, if you're not defined now, you will be for the rest of your life with the social media and everything else. They don't believe that nature can be changed, that the person you are as a child is the person you will always be because you showed that early on in your age. Jesus was not perfect in the eyes of his family. They looked at his uh, older brother and they had ought against him. They had stories they could tell you about Jesus Christ. Does someone have good, the goods on you as well? Oh, I could tell you stories about Anytime you get together with a family, uh, with my family, they all have stories they could tell you about John growing up over the years. And these things tend to trap us. And Jesus Christ, believe it or not, had the same problem. If even the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ did not believe in Jesus at this point, the promised Messiah, the people who knew him best, then why should you? Why should anyone? Their brothers challenge Jesus at this point in this passage. And they say to Jesus, why don't you go up to the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover? That was akin to saying, we dare you. He's been in Galilee. It's been also known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And Gentiles, oh, they'll believe anything. You tell them aliens populated the earth, they'll believe that. The Gentiles were pretty open Gentile Greeks, always interested in new ideas. But to do and to say what Jesus was saying in Jerusalem, oh, that's another story. Because Jerusalem is where all the religious experts are. And they dared him. They double dared him to go up to Jerusalem and preach that same message because that's what you do in order to get killed. And they thought Jesus would back down. They did not believe in him. They thought he was losing his mind. They said, I don't know who this guy is, but he is so full of himself. Has anyone told you that? You just don't know who you are. We know who you really are. And they dared him to do this. They said these words, If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And what they meant is, you're hiding out here in, in Galilee and playing it safe. And what's implied is this. Jesus, you don't really even believe in yourself, what you're telling everybody else. And that's why you won't do it. You won't go to Jerusalem. 
When we have a familiarity with something, we think we know it well, and we think we're an informed experts, like on our brothers and sisters, our moms and our dads. The great tragedy is that family familiarity will prejudice us in the wrong direction. You can think you're familiar with something and you know what it is when you just have no idea what's really there. You can be too familiar with God and what God can do with people. I've adopted an attitude early in my life um, when I realized this, and I've adopted it with all my children and with every person I've ever met since, and it's this. I look for what God intends to do in a person's life. You are not a mistake. You were created for the purpose of glorifying God. And in so being created, he has a plan and an agenda for your life. Most of us have no idea what it is, don't even know there is one, or even gotten on to that plan. Being born again is a good step in the right direction so that you can get into that plan he wants you to be in. And what I'm excited about is not to look at the limitations of who you are right now, but the explosive potential of what God intends you to be. Because I'm going to tell you a great mystery. Are you ready for it? You are not everything you're supposed to be right now. God has far greater plans for you than what you've got. The Bible says no mind can conceive and no one can really understand all the things that God has in mind. And God bless you, you shouldn't know everything he has planned for you. It would scare you silly. And you wouldn't even begin. But he has great plans. I always look for the potential of God. And I even look for that in the worst of people. I learned long ago with that assumption that God has a purpose for all of us, that when I find someone that's really on the wrong end, I ask myself this, if God were to turn this person around and send them in the opposite direction, what would they be like? You could, uh, there was a man named Saul. Saul uh, was a very religious person. He was very familiar, a family familiarity with the Torah and God's will, and he thought he knew exactly what God's will was. He was prejudiced. And when he heard about uh, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and the church, he went out and to shut down this heresy, arrested through people in prison, and he did it with a zeal and a passion for the Jewish religion. And it was on the Damascus Road that he met the risen Lord, and he was saved from his sins, he was born again. His DNA changed, and Saul became Paul, and he went the opposite direction where he was going before. He was the number one enemy of the church hunting it down. After he came to the Lord and got his true DNA straightened out, he was the number one missionary for the church. He went out to spread the gospel, the very one he was trying to stamp out. So even when I meet someone like a Saul, I ask myself, what is the potential here? If this person were to turn around, what would they become? I had a a man on an Easter Sunday coming up, I think about this every Easter, because on one Easter Sunday, I had a man come to church who cursed me uh, from the occult right in the, before the Easter morning service. I asked for his name, Gabriel, and I still pray for Gabriel today. Because I said, man, if that man would ever get saved, he would make a great evangelist. If he can march into a, my service on Easter Sunday and curse me, I want that guy saved. He would be on fire for the Lord. He would be courageous, wouldn't he? God is much greater than what your family or familiarity will allow. Jesus replied to this dare, this double dare of his brothers about to go up to Jerusalem, and he says, my time is not yet here. Your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves, I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus will often reveal something about himself, and although we hear the words, it goes right over our heads. Huh? We don't quite understand it. We get 
what brothers of Jesus were doing. They were making a dare of their older brothers, of their older brother, and they were daring him to prove himself by taking on Jerusalem, a place where all things are judged by the powerful and the intellectuals of the elites. Their family familiarity had caused them not to believe that Jesus had what it would take to stand up to the testing in Jerusalem, which he had already done as a teenager, and that they dared him, but yet he said, it's not my time. They probably thought that he was chicken. You're you're chicken. Double dare you, triple dare you, you chicken. And Jesus knew that he was not following he couldn't just make decisions on his own. He had a purpose. There was a reason he was on the earth, just like there's a purpose for you. There's a reason why you're here today and you're hearing this message. And in that, he wanted to be in the plan of that purpose. And he said, it's not my time. I don't get to call these shots. I'm under someone else, a purpose and a plan. And it's not time. And he said, "Uh, even if you dare me, I'm not stepping out of the plan that God has for me. You may be challenged, uh, God yourself, you might even dare him from time to time. The scriptures call this the foolish testing. Have you ever dared God? A lot of people have over the years. And when God doesn't answer the dare, they say, well, you see, I can't believe in God. God didn't answer my dare. You should thank him that he didn't answer your dare if you dare him. It's a foolish test. We shouldn't do such things. And like those who have a family familiarity, uh, God isn't someone you dare. This is not believing. It's unbelief. Then Jesus reveals to his brothers, can go up to Jerusalem. You can go there anytime and celebrate Passover. You'll have a great time and people will like you. And this is a bit of a dig because he says, the world doesn't like me. It hates me because I preach against its evil. But you, oh, you're fine. You know what he's doing there? Yeah, you know what he's doing there. He's saying the reason that it's dangerous for me to go to Jerusalem, and you know it, is because I'm at odds with religion. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord and the active hand of God. But you are religious. You fit right into that crowd. You are one of them. They are not born again. They are unbelievers. It's either a yes or it's a no. There's no middle ground. And he says, you don't believe. So go. Have a good time. But he is the son of God. When he comes, a storm follows. I don't know if you noticed this, but wherever Christ went in his ministry of those three years, it it was like a storm wherever he went. There was controversy, anger, People, even the authorities were afraid of civil war breaking out because Jesus shows up and he starts talking. When you believe, there will be controversy around you. It's usually a pretty good sign that you believe is that controversy follows you in conflict. Jesus reveals that his brothers can go to Jerusalem anytime because... They do what the world tells them to do. And the expression there is the world, the world. They believe in the world, what the world says. Jesus does not. He resists the world and he condemns the world. He even judges the world of sin. And this has a sting to it when he says that. He's telling his brothers that they are part of the very world that Jesus opposes and then will die for. It is the world that will yell, crucify him. And when he does go up to Jerusalem, that's what the world will be yelling. And it will reveal the glory of God. The world today is no different than it was in the time of Jesus Christ. There is a good description in a 1984 novel. uh, You ever read that novel? It's now ancient history, 1984. Um, But there's a description called, and the psychologists call it groupthink. You you know what groupthink is? We also call it the herd mentality. 
It's a psychological phenomenon that occurs within a group of people in which the desire for harmony and conformity in the group results in irrational or dysfunctional decision-making outcomes. For the desire for harmony and for group cohesion, which is the very definition of a Canadian. <laughs> right? We want to be harmonious and work together. But the danger of the world and group is groupthink, that you won't think for yourself, that you will just recite what the harmonious group tells you to say. And if I told you that Jesus stands in opposition to the world, it doesn't make him very Canadian or very Jewish. It makes him the Messiah, the Son of God. When we're caught up in the world's thinking, we refrain from expressing doubts and judgments or disagreements with the consensus of what everyone else seems to be thinking. In the interest of making a decision that furthers their group cause, we ignore any uh, ethical or moral consequences, decisions that we make as a group. And this is how we take away freedoms. This is how we force the worldviews on others. And this is how we turn journalism into propaganda and this is how we crucify anyone who gets in the way and yell, crucify him. If you're part of that world, like the brothers of Jesus Christ, you will not believe Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Because you think you're family familiarity with him, but maybe you don't know Jesus as well as you think you know him. Uh, certainly his brothers didn't. There's another controversy. We'll pick it up at verse 10. And uh, we're going to look at 10, 11, and 12. But when his brothers had gone to the feast, and, they, and he himself went up, not publicly, but as if in secret, he went to the feast as well. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? Where is this Jesus? There was so much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he is a good man. And others were saying, no, on the contrary, he is leading the people astray. The brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ go to the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem as a family to celebrate. That's what you do uh, with the Passover feast. As a family, you go together, you set up a booth, you purchase the food, and you sit together. And it's a family event. Everyone's supposed to be there and celebrate that together. And as he goes up to Jerusalem, his family goes on, Mary and the brothers and sisters, and they get their place, and they are celebrating Passover. And Jesus is alone, and he sneaks in. I don't know if he was put a hoodie over his head or how he was dressed, but it, he doesn't want to draw any attention to himself. He doesn't have, it's not Palm Sunday. There isn't disciples announcing his arrival. He just sort of sneaks in. I, I tried to do that once in a while in churches. I sneak in after the worship service in the back row and I tr try not to be recognized and I don't get away with it very often, but uh, it's kind of fun to spy and see what's really going on. And Jesus is doing that. He secretly goes to Jerusalem, but when they, what does the family of Jesus hear about? And when they arrive at Jerusalem, the unbelieving brothers they're at Jerusalem and Passover, and they start meeting old friends and relatives, and the whole city is talking about Jesus Christ. Not always nicely. So they challenge Jesus to go. He doesn't go. When they go to the city, everyone's talking about him. And they're grumbling about him. And if they're grumbling about Jesus, do you think they're going to say, oh, I know where his family is. They're celebrating over there. Let's go talk to them about his brother. Ask him where he is. You know, that's a real pressure on the family. So the family doesn't appreciate all the controversy that Jesus is creating either. And they keep are asking the age-old question, is Jesus good or is he bad? And that's the debate. Is he good or is he bad? He heals He's good. I had leprosy. He healed me. He's good. His claims are too incredible to be true. He's bad. Can't be true. And that's about that sums up everything that they were grumbling about. To settle the question, the answer, the people who wanted to go to the bottom of this, and they asked, where 
where is he? Where is he? He needs to speak for himself. And the brothers of Jesus probably answered, he was too chicken to show up. So he mustn't be the son of God. Yet Jesus was there. He was with them, hiding in secret, hearing everyone what everyone was saying. He heard and he knew that people were looking for him. Now get this. Even though they were looking and asking and everyone was talking about him, he would not reveal himself. Jesus is a controversial person and he is still controversial today. If you mention him anywhere, you will have a controversy. I dare you. Go to, double dare you, chickens. Go to Home Depot, Walmart, go to any public function and openly talk about Jesus Christ and see how it goes. And then if if you're not stirring the nest, then start talking about sin and the judgment of God upon sin. You will push some buttons. People will not like you. You can do all of that, but there is a tension in around Jesus Christ, and it's about is he or isn't he someone to believe in. When you're caught in the tension of is he or isn't he, that's what we call agnostic. I don't know. He could be. He might not be. Probably. Probably not. I'm going to take the safe position on the fence. It's simply saying, I don't really know. Really, it's simply... Uh, people who lack the courage to make the choice to believe one way or the other says, I'll take the middle ground and suspend judgment because they're fearful of the consequences of making a decision one way or the other. But if you take the position of what we call the enlightened point of view, where you say, well, I'm open-minded. You ever hear of open-minded people? I'm open-minded, I don't want to make a decision one way or the other, I'm going to let the children decide for themselves, I'm just going to present the information and everyone should decide on their own what they want. This enlightenment point of view is fear. Because you don't know something till you choose something. Say it louder. Amen, Amen. thank you. <laughs> Too timid. That's great. Yes, you don't know something until you, you make a commitment to it. And when you make a commitment to it, then you begin to understand it and believe in it. To say I'm an agnostic, I'm, a, I'm open-minded about that, I want you to be clear on that. That is not believing. So if you asked me, do you love your wife? So well, you know, I'm open-minded about that. I, <laughs> Some days, sort of have a feeling for and some days, not so much. So, kind of, you know, today, maybe, sort of. And do you want to be in a relationship with a person like that who's open-minded? I'm really close-minded when it comes to my wife. I want you to know that. I'm, I'm just prejudiced about it. And I, I can't be talked out of my position no matter what you do. And that's why I know I love my wife. Now, she's fairly open-minded about the whole thing. (laughs) No, you don't. Yeah. (laughs) But it's the same with Jesus Christ. You can't believe in him and be open-minded about it. You need to be prejudiced about it. I'm so prejudiced, I would lay down my life for Jesus Christ. There are people in Nigeria right now dying and bleeding because that's how much they believe in Jesus Christ. And they will do it again tomorrow and the day after. This isn't enlightened. This is a commitment, a choice that is made. Only when we make the courageous choice of a Christian will we believe. The trouble with not knowing about Jesus Christ and having a lot of questions is that we think we have answers uh, before belief. You know, well, if you can answer this doubt I have, then maybe I will choose. I want you to know that day will never come. If you're waiting for answers to believe, that day will never come. 
I have so many questions about God. You haven't even got a clue. I've been collecting questions about the Lord my entire life. And the more I study about him, the more uh, clarity I get and the more questions I gather. I don't uh, decrease in my need to trust and to believe by faith. I increase in my need to trust and believe in faith the more I follow the Lord because he is so great. But I'm not waiting for solid answers. I make a commitment, I make a choice, a decision, belief comes, and out of that, I begin to understand and comprehend the things of God. This is not a radical idea for some, but believing a truth is the only way to know a truth. To believe a truth, to make that decision is the only way to know it, to know it deep inside of you. We call the study of knowing something an epistemology. Any of you philosophy majors who are unemployed? (laughs) Philosophies. No one takes philosophy anymore. What's with that? I majored in philosophy and theology and psychology and and delved into that. We had very empty classrooms. Everyone else was studying other things. I just loved it. But epistemology is the study of knowing and to understand things in our life. So, and... When you, you, most of us are Greek thinkers and we say we know something by reason. So if it makes sense, if it reasons it out, then I'll believe it and I'll base it on rational thought because I don't want to believe th- anything thing that is irrational. And so everything must be proven in peer re- peered review is the new expression. <laughs> it's another expression for groupthink. But it's... But they've lost the basic Greek concept, believe it or not, that isn't just based on reason alone. Because Plato and many others, and Aristotle and others, argued for truths. And truths are only acquired by belief, by a choice in a belief. And believe it or not, we all do it. We make those choices. Faith or believing in something as legitimate epistemology. Faith is a legitimate way of knowing something. Reason and experience alone are never enough in your life. All the greatest wonders of life that make life worth living, we know by faith. (laughs) By faith, we know love. By faith, we know hope, joy, peace, freedom justice, and many more truths. They aren't reasoned. They're believed. And you make a commitment to that. And by this kind of knowing by faith, we reject and judge the opposites. We reject hate, despair, turmoil, oppression, injustice, and many more evils. But an agnostic won't know it because they just don't know. The Jesus that is about to be revealed at the right time is not just a person. He is the truth. One of the greatest reasons people believe in Jesus Christ is because no one knows Jesus well enough to know about Jesus Christ. There will be a lot of questions. Watch a documentary on TV, they'll leave you saying, could be, might not be. They will always leave you an agnostic. It could be, might not be. It's the same treatment they give to aliens. Could be, might not be. Could go either way. But you have to make a decision about Jesus to know him. So there's the familiar family controversy There is the controversy of the agnostic of not knowing Jesus well enough. But there is also the internal mental controversy that we have. Verse 40 picks it up. And we're going to read that together in uh, 41 to 44. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. And others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee. (laughs) Is he? That's like Newfoundland. No way. (laughs) Sorry for Newfoundland. (laughs) Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David 
I am from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So a division occurred in the crowd in the crowd because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Jesus was at this feast and he was there in secret and he was compelled by God to speak. And eventually he spoke and he came out and he spoke into an ocean of unbelief. They were unbelieving in their grumbling, could be, could not be, that most of them did not believe. And most, um, if they did believe, was a mistaken, well, maybe he's John the Baptist from back from the dead kind of mistaken belief. And Jesus attempted to breathe life into those dry bones, or the religious dry bones, the unbelief dry bones, the confused dry bones that had no life, no hope. And it was the dry bones of a religious festival where they had lost the real meaning of the booths. And many didn't like what he had to say. But for some, as it could be for you today, it was revealed what needed to change in their lives, and it would change their lives forever. Jesus said on the last day of the great day of the feast, he finally spoke and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He believes in me. If you make that choice, if you believe in me, the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Much of the unbelief in Jesus Christ had to do with the controversies around him. Most of us stay away from people who are controversial. And I'm going to warn you, I could become more and more controversial as the years roll by. And some of you might not want to be around me when I get that way. Because I will preach the word of God, not my opinion. I will say what the word says. And I will not dodge it. And I'm going to tell you that will put me at odds with the world because the world does not believe. When we have this controversy, we tend to avoid people of controversy. We want to wait until it's all settled issue and rather than get up, caught up in the controversy itself and make a fool of ourselves. Division is a split of the crowd for and against Jesus Christ, the yes and the no. And there were those who wanted to settle the controversy of Jesus by arresting him and showing him by force that he was a fake and he was a deceiver. They were going to call him on it, but no one did. The controversy about Jesus Christ is not really about the reality of Jesus Christ as the Son of God in the flesh. It isn't a controversy that he was crucified because it is a historical record that he was or that he died because we know that or that he even rose on the third day. The fight, the controversy around Jesus Christ, then as it is today, is not even about his judgment of sin, his offer of salvation from the judgment to come. The controversy is really about the consequences of believing in him, means I have to believe in something different about who I am. And as long as it doesn't touch me, I'm okay. But if you say I have to change thinking about how I see myself, then that's the controversy. We have a personal prejudice and a preconception to maintain our own self-image of who we are. Jesus Christ, if we make that desperate decision to make a difference, will change how we see ourselves when we accept the current truth about who we really are right now. If we believe Jesus Christ is the truth, amen, then we must believe that we have followed lies. If we accept Jesus Christ as the way, then we must believe that we are lost and we're confused. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the life, then we must believe that we are dead in our sin. That's the controversy. If you reject Jesus Christ, it's not because Jesus Christ isn't the way, the truth, and the life. It's because we don't want to admit that we are deceived and we're lost and we're dead in our sins. This is unbelief, and it's based on a prejudice preconception as a result of not knowing ourselves well enough to know Jesus Christ.
Christ did not get silenced on that day. He isn't silenced today. He's still revealing himself and calling us to make the desperate decision that makes the difference. And like those before us, we will try to silence him, and some of us will even yell, crucify him, shut him down, don't even mention Jesus, hoping we don't have to change the thinking of who we are, really. Even death will not stop Jesus Christ and the judgment to come. If you want to step out of the doubt of the familiar, of the confused, and of the controversial, there's only one way. You must make the desperate decision that will make the difference. You must choose to believe him and in him. And you do that by changing your thinking about who you are. You have to repent of your sins, and you have to ask for the new birth to change on the inside. If you will do this, then you will experience a change from your inmost being. Remember what Jesus just said, any who comes from me, I will then drink from me. There will be a flowing river of living water. Only those who are born again know what that is. It is the Holy Spirit flowing through you. You will come alive spiritually. You will open your eyes every day and say a prayer, I know, I believe, I receive. And you'll choose this day to believe, to know, and to be transformed. Jesus will do that for you. Jesus called to people and said, whoever wants it, come, I will give it to you. He's still calling. But you have to come accepting who you really are. If that's something you want in your life, you can have that today. I'm going to be up here along with the elders, and we will stay here as long as you need to get that settled with the Lord so that when you leave from this place that you know, you know that you know that you're a part of him. It will be your DNA from now on. Today, you can be born again. Who you are can be changed forever spiritually when the Holy Spirit enters you. You will leave with the DNA of God built into you. And no matter how you act or behave and mistakes, you, you can't change who you really are in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, you are holy, you are righteous, you are good. And he will look at you as a newborn baby and he said, oh, isn't she cute? Isn't he wonderful? And as a grandpa would say, that's a remarkable young girl. A remarkable young man just starting out. Look at all the potential in Christ this person has. That's who you really are, if you would receive him. Is he calling to you? Is the spirit here now? Can you hear him? Let's stand together. We'll close with a prayer and then have a break. Almighty God, we thank you for your spirit that's in this place and for the word you wanted shared today. I thank you that these are your words, not mine or anybody else's. We thank you for, more importantly, for the whispering in our spirits. And some of us have heard this whispering from you. It is, I love you. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are precious to me. I know who you are. Don't you ever forget who you belong to. And others... We're hearing a great need, a darkness within us. We're realizing that we've been playing it safe too long and we've not made the commitment that we are willing to die for, to give our life for, a love of God. For Christ has already loved you that much. And if you're that person, God is calling you today. I would ask you not to ignore that call. Jesus, uh, we just pray for the battle that's going on and what's going to happen in the next five, ten minutes as people are convinced to leave without living water. I pray that you'll turn around supernaturally in your Holy Spirit and bring them up front until they're gushing and they have all that you have promised today. We thank you, Lord, for your work, and uh, we know you're doing that right now. And we dismiss this uh, people of God, Lord, with your grace and for those that are seeking with your spirit that will not uh, cease to pursue and to draw them into the kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen. Go on the peace of God. 
This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillervillechurch.org. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. All are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available. 